0: You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit CanbyFoursquare.com to learn more.
1: Thankful for that. In our Bibles today, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, because it's here in these verses that we witness the miracle of birth. This is the birth of the church. This is where we come from. This is our lineage. This is our heritage. And so we're going to find out a few things about that today. In fact, we're going to take a couple weeks and stay in the book of Acts. It really deserves it. It deserves our full attention in this particular chapter. With that said, would you bow your heads, close your eyes just for a moment, and let's pray and invite God's Spirit to touch our hearts. Father, we are so grateful today. And what we ask and what I ask is that you would do something new in all of us that there would be new things birthed in our hearts. Regardless if we've walked with you for just a short period of time or we've been on a long, a lifelong journey, we just ask that you would do it, new work by the power and inspiration of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, and we say together, Amen. Well, for me, one of the most exciting places that I've ever spent any time is in a delivery room in a hospital waiting for my children to be born. And I remember each one of them. There's just different memories that come to mind when I think about their birth. I remember the first time I looked into their eyes and just the excitement that I, that I had. Uh, our third child, which is a girl, her name is Rebecca. Uh, we were actually driving to the hospital. We didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl at the time. We had a boy's name picked out. And it was on the way to the hospital, we realized we didn't have a girl's name. It was like, honey, we've got to come up with a girl's name. And so it was on the way, on the fly, uh, that we said if we have a girl, her name is going to be Rebecca, and uh, and sure enough, Rebecca was born. I have to tell you, I, I was very emotional with both the boys, but when that little girl came, uh, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, <laughs> I just started, I, I just started. <laughs> I started crying. I started crying like a little baby right there in front of a little baby, and it was probably one of those m- most memorable times of my life. And then, of course, having grandchildren, that's sheer joy. Annette and I uh, celebrate our eight grandkids whenever we can get together, and two are coming soon, and so uh, just be praying. We have eight, uh, nine and ten are going to be showing up uh, next month, and then a few months after that, we'll have our 10th. And so we're, we're excited that we get to hang out together, spend time with family. We just returned from Southern California, and we took time with family there. We hung out, had a great time with four of our grandkids, and just enjoyed enjoyed our time together. But boy, isn't it exciting when you know that and anticipate that there's going to be new birth. That, that, a, that a baby's showing up, that, that something exciting is going to happen. So what I want to do with you this morning is I want to go back 2,000 years to a delivery room, so to speak. It's when the church was born. It's the birthday of the church. It was the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago in the city of Jerusalem. I don't know if you've ever heard the story before, but there's a story about three expected fathers waiting in the waiting room, and they just were excited to find out, like I was with my children, they were excited to find out what they were going to have a boy, a girl. They were just really excited. And the nurse walked out to give the first dad the announcement, and, and she said, "Sir, you're not going to believe this. You have twins." And he says, "Whoa, this is pretty incredible." He said, "It's so incredible because I, I play shortstop for the Minnesota Twins. I mean, that's pretty amazing." And then uh, a little time had passed, and another nurse walked out for the second dad. Said, "Sir, you're not going to believe this. You got triplets." And the father just, "This is." Incredible, because I work for 3M Company. I can't believe it. And the third father fell down on the floor. He just went into a a panic attack, and they pulled him up. When they got his wits about him, they said, what's going on? He goes, oh, no, I work for 7-Up Bottle Company, you know? (laughs) And so so what we witness here today is not the birth of two or three. We actually witness the birth of 3,000 spiritual babies that are born on that one day, that day of Pentecost. So listen to what happened on that birthday of the church. It says this. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind or a rushing mighty wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these that are speaking Galileans? And then how is it that each of us hears them in our native tongue?" Our native language, Parthians, Medes, the Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. You had Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And some, however, like there are always those in the crowd, made fun of them, and they said they've had way too much wine. (laughs) Well, let me tell you what happens later on, and we'll talk about this next week. Uh, Peter debunks that because he says, folks, it's only nine in the morning, and this has nothing to do with alcoholic beverages. This has everything to do with God's Holy Spirit. And it really does. When you read this passage of Scripture, you are amazed at what's going on here. The church was birthed on the day of Pentecost. Some of us may even be asking, well, what is the day of Pentecost? And what does that mean to us? Well, the day of Pentecost is a very simple thing to, to, to define it has a very simple meaning. Pentecost literally means 50th. So this is a celebration 50 days after the Passover. It's one of three major Festivals or feasts that the Jewish people would celebrate. In fact, this celebration was one of three that was mandatory, especially for Jewish men. Jewish men were asked to attend three major festivals. This is one of those festivals that they would have attended. And so when you ask the question, why are there so many people there? It's because it was the celebration of Pentecost. Fifty days of Passover had just gone by. They were there. In fact, tens of thousands of Jewish men, again, would have stayed in Jerusalem... For those 50 days. So they would have made the pilgrimage. Especially if you traveled from some of the lands you've heard here. Some of the peoples here. They would have traveled uh, days and days to get to Jerusalem. So to go back was very costly. Very expensive. Let's stay. Because the next festival is mandatory. So they did. And that's why there was such a a crowd there. Jesus said this. And I, I love this. Because you're seeing this happen before your very eyes. Remember the place where Jesus said. I will build. My church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So you're, you're, you're seeing, you're witnessing the very words of Jesus coming to fruition that the prophetic word of Jesus is happening right here. It's the building of the church, the starting of the church. The promise is coming true. And this is a day when the Holy Spirit baptizes them into the body of Jesus Christ. It's the day that they're filled with the Spirit, endued with the power of God's Holy Spirit. An extraordinary thing. And it's an extraordinary thing that takes place after this. So what happens here is the church is now ready. They're, they're poised. They're postured in a place that they can fulfill the Great Commission. And so, what I want you to always do when you read this passage of Scripture is I want you to always stay connected to the Great Commission. Stay connected to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Wait, I will fill you, I will baptize you with my spirit so that you will then have the power to take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We can never disconnect what happens here with the Great Commission. And so that's what's taking place here. There's this fulfillment happening. There's this prophetic word being fulfilled here. This is what I, I want to happen in my life. I mean, all this last few weeks, the last few months, really preparing for this passage of Scripture and teaching out of the book of Acts. Um, I think it's one, one of those books that can make you feel real small. Uh, it's one of those books that when you study it, you think to yourself, am I, uh, am I on track here? Uh, and, and I think it's meant to do that in a way. I think it's meant to, to take an inventory of what's going on in your own heart. Do I want the power of the Holy Spirit? Uh, do I want the church I belong to and connected with? Do, do I want them to be filled with the Spirit? Here's a question I ask myself, would we even notice, would we even notice if the Holy Spirit was absent in our life? Would we even notice if the Holy Spirit was absent in our church community? Uh, The book of Acts, and especially this chapter, makes us sit up and take notice to ask these kinds of questions. They're uncomfortable to ask. (laughs) I mean, for me, uh, going through this, I'm thinking, I know with this book, there are so many expectations depending on your background, depending on where you came from. If you're Pentecostal, Baptist, you have different views of what's going on here. But there are a, a ton of expectations that come with this passage of Scripture. And you know what I determined? I can't fulfill every expectation, but I know who can. I know the Holy Spirit can. I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you now. And that what he's asking from us is that we would we would be filled with his Spirit. And that we would practice what we see in God's Word. That I need to be endued with the power of God's Holy Spirit to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have to do that. And that I would say yes every time the Lord asks me to turn right or turn left to say yes. You know what I figured out about God's Holy Spirit in my life just in the last two or three weeks? And I I think I go through seasons like this, and you may identify I'm being micromanaged right now by the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? I really am. I mean, there's times in my life where it's just the generalities. You know, the Lord will say, hey, you know, think about this, pray about that. I mean, you know, it's good things. But right now is not one of those times. Right now, I'm being micromanaged. And, 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 it's, and, and I'm going to tell you, it is hard because here's what's happening. <clears throat> uh, the Lord's asking me to talk to strangers. Uh, the Lord's asking me to share the gospel with people I don't know. Um, the Lord's asking me to do things that maybe are a little out of my rhythm. And I think that he might be asking you to do the same thing. And when I say micromanaged by the Holy Spirit, that's not a negative. That's a positive. Because he has something he wants us to learn right now. And I think the whole idea for me is to say yes. Whenever I'm asked, Lord, you say yes go here, I'll go here. This is why we're looking at this particular book right now. I think we're looking at this passage right now because the timing's right. The timing's right. This is the day that we need to understand who we are. And that as we go into the summer, as we go into the fall, and discuss more about our own identity in Jesus Christ, because that's what we're going to do. This book lays an incredible foundation of who we are in the body of Christ, who we are as community, and then we start to talk about who we are in Jesus Christ. Now, here's one of the dilemmas you always face when you look at the book of Acts, when you study it, especially when you preach it, and that's this. I know that the Holy Spirit fills me with power. I know that. How that's expressed in my life might look different in my life than it does your life. Uh, it might look different in your life than it might in my life. Some, when you say I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, immediately say, oh, you're you're one of those. I mean, you're a, you're a crazy nut that rolls in the aisles and swings from the chandeliers. You're, you're, you're one of those persons. But then there's the other end that says that if I don't do that, then I'm really not filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe the way that they think I should be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to tell you where I'm at right now. I'm in between. I really am. Now, I don't know where you are. I want, I really want the balance and power of God's Holy Spirit. And I've confessed this before to you. My heart is Pentecostal. My feet are Baptist, and that's just the way it is. I, I, have, no, I have no apologies for that. That's just, that's just the way I am. So whatever you hear me share out of this passage of Scripture, know it is with great enthusiasm and know that it is with great hope for you uh, that what you experience in this passage of Scripture will bring the life and power of of God's Holy Spirit in you. You know, it's when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and his word that you, that you grow up. Now, someone once said this, and I don't know if I, I, I agree with the whole thing here, but I think it's worth repeating. I think the sentiment, I get it here. Uh, maybe you've heard the same, same thing before. Too much word, you dry up. Too much spirit, you blow up. <laughs> but with word and the spirit, you grow up. Now, I don't know who said that. I don't know if it was a Pentecostal or if I was a Baptist, I choose to think it was a Bapticostal. You know, it's probably one of those people who came up with something like this. Uh, but, I, but I think there's elements of truth there that we want to pay attention to. We really, we really do. So here's what the Word says about the Spirit. The Word says about the Spirit on the day of Pentecost uh, that the Holy Spirit was witnessed in three supernatural ways. And that's all I'm going to share with you this morning. Just the three supernatural ways that the Holy Spirit showed himself to people. And the reason I'm doing this, and you'll find out, is because there's layers to this. But as we go through this, I want you to notice that each way that the Holy Spirit manifests himself is connected with a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. That it's connected to a restorative activity of God's Holy Spirit. So what God does is he doesn't move on and let us pass and go to the next thing until he takes care of what we need to have taken care of in the present. And so he's looking back and he's saying these are places that need to be restored in order for you to live a life filled with God's Holy Spirit. And then when we read the Old Testament, we know there are places in our own history, and that's our history, that there's brokenness that there was disobedience, that there was rebellion. And what what does Jesus do? By the power of his spirit, he comes in and he mends those broken places, just like he does in your life. So when I I think about the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life, and I think about the power of the Holy Spirit working uh, at that macro level of our church history and the Old Testament, I want you to remember, he does the same thing with you. If there's disobedience, rebellion, brokenness in your life, uh, the Lord leans in. There's a, there's a compassion that he has for the broken. And that he comes in and he wants to mend that and make you right. So that you can be that vessel filled with the Spirit to carry out the mission in the body of Christ. And to carry out the vision he's given you. So here are those three supernatural events. I think you have already clued into some of them. But number one is they heard something. (laughs) That's the first thing you see in verse 2. It says here that they heard something. They heard suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Several years ago, um, and I don't know why I was asked, but I was asked to be in a sailboat race in the Columbia Gorge on the Columbia River, and I said, "Why are you guys ask me? I have no experience on sailboats. I know nothing about sailboats. I'm not a sailor. I, I don't. I don't have. A, I've never. I've not really even been on a boat that I know of." They said, "Well, we just need one guy to kind of be this. Just one. One more team member, and all you do when we tell you to crank something, you crank it." I said, "Well, I can do that. I can do that." So, so I get in the boat and I say, "Okay. Well, how does this go?" And uh, they said, well, we'll show you. And they showed me. And I said, well, how will I know when the wind comes up? And they said, oh, you will know. You will know. Because when that wind comes and catches a sail, you are going to know. And oh, boy, did I know. I wished I took about four Dramamine when that happened. Because when it happened, we were on our way. I didn't see it. I couldn't see it. Uh, But I could hear it. I could hear the wind and the sails. I could hear what the wind was going. So what we're seeing here is not a meteorological event. What you're hearing, seeing, and hearing in this passage of Scripture is a supernatural event. Meaning, it wasn't a windy day in Jerusalem. It wasn't a windy day in the upper room. It was the sound of a rushing, mighty wind. And, and the best way we could probably describe it is some of you, have, maybe you've been brought up in the Midwest, and you can hear a tornado come before it gets there. If you're around any approaching hurricane, they say the, the sound of a tornado, a hurricane, is deafening. It sounds like a freight train. Most people say, I, I heard it before I actually saw it. Well, what these folks, these 120, are experiencing is the very same thing. They are hearing it before they see the manifestations. They heard the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Now, why wind here? Very important that we understand. Why wind? Because the Bible regularly refers to the movement of the Spirit as wind. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus in the conversation in John chapter 3? Uh, Nicodemus was trying to get on the same page with Jesus and they had this conversation and Nicodemus is getting his mind blown, you know, what do you mean? I need to be born again? How do I do that? Do I go back into my mother's womb? No, no, no. And then Jesus used wind and he's going, what do you mean? And Jesus said, the wind will go where the wind wants to go. That that He's saying that it'll blow where it will. And, and that's what we see here is the wind coming up. And it's the the power of God's Holy Spirit in that manifestation. And did you know that in the Old Testament, written in Hebrew, and in the New Testament, written in Greek, the word for wind is the same word. It's the, the word for spirit. And that, that's what we need to understand, that it's the word for spirit. So in Hebrew, the word is ruach. And in this case, it's ruach hakodesh, which means the spirit holy. That's where we get the term Holy Spirit. Right there. It's the spirit holy. But in the Greek, the word is, and some of you know, is the word pneuma. So you have ruach, hakodesh, and you have pneuma, and they both mean the spirit. Now, one more thought, and this is important for us to catch, because uh, there's a thought about the reason for wind on the day of Pentecost. It's because wind also means breath. And I want you to hear this. It means breath. It it, it means breath of life. That if you have no wind on your breath, that means you have no life. In the Hawaiian or Polynesian culture, there's something called the ha. If you've heard of it, if you've seen Polynesians, when they greet, they'll, they'll touch each other's forehead. I did that last week with my friend who's Tongan, and it was the ha. And what does that mean? It means you have the breath of life in you. The ha, the breath of life is in you. And so wind, wind is talked about here. It means breath. Now follow me because it's so critical to understanding the full impact of what God was up to on this particular day. Remember the first Adam? We know the the first Adam is Adam, the man. In Genesis chapter 2, he was given life. But do you remember how he was given life? And it's in Genesis 2, 7. It says this, And God breathed into his nostrils The breath of life, the ha, that came from God. And the man became a living being. The man became a living being. So the breath of life, Adam was given his very life. His both physical and spiritual life came from the breath of God. But because Adam disobeyed God and he rebelled against God, his sin brought physical and spiritual death to us all. We understand that. Because of his disobedience, then death came to us all. Now, you should get excited about this. At this point, we should be pretty excited because this day, the day of Pentecost, God breathes on man again. He's restoring something that's broken. Something that went uh, the wrong way. It took a left-hand turn. It's the Ruha. It's the Numa. It's the Holy Spirit breeze, and it sounded like rushing mighty wind. That's the sound of God breathing. So this sound was the breath of God. It was the Ruha. It was the same breath that said, let there be light. It was the same breath that said, let there be life. It's the breath that breathed into Adam. It's the breath of God being breathed in to those people. And it's the breath of God that we experience today. It's the sound of God breathing. It's the sound of the Holy Spirit reversing the curse. That's what you're hearing. The curse is being reversed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says this, For since death came through a man, that's Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man, that's Jesus Christ, for as in Adam all die. All died. So in Christ, all are made alive. Whew, the breath. That's what happens when God breathes. Here's something else, I believe, <laughs> about the breath of God. And, and this is this is a this just blows me away here because <laughs> pun in words are, wasn't it? Didn't even attend. it blows me away. The same sound invaded the tomb. Just think about No one was there to witness. No one really heard it. But that's the same sound that invaded a dark, death-filled tomb on the third day. The sound of God breathing on his only begotten son. It's the breath. It was a rushing, mighty wind that chased death away. It was the rushing, mighty wind that brought resurrected life. And that same spirit breath that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The spirit lives in you says this he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you it's the breath the rushing mighty wind restoring the brokenness of the past giving you life and power for the future that's the work of God so the disciples heard something it sounds like a rushing mighty wind now then the disciples saw something. Look at verse 3. It says they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. Now notice again what seemed to be fire. So, so don't think that their hair was on fire. I mean, that's, you know, that's not something that's happening in a physical way. They're not being physically burnt here. That's not what's happening. This is what they saw, tongues of fire. It was a visible phenomenon. It was a visible manifestation of God's Holy Spirit at that moment. So then you ask yourself, like you ask yourself the question, why when? You ask yourself the question, why fire? Because God is very purposed in what he does. He's not just throwing out these elements and saying, now here we go. Oh, I like that element. This. No, no. He's connecting it to something that when we pay attention, we start to see this. And so when you think about fire, he does this because there were many times in the Old Testament that fire was used to do what? To symbolize the very presence of God. The very presence of God. What did Moses see in Exodus chapter 3? He saw the burning tumbleweed. And it was there that the angel of the Lord spoke to him. And it says this, and the tumbleweed, the bush... I'm saying tumbleweed because that's the only thing they probably had in the desert I'm guessing. Uh, the bush was not consumed. It was a heavenly fire. And what did what did the angel of the Lord say? Take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. You're in my presence. The fire represents the presence of God. On Mount Sinai, again, Moses being a key figure here, when God spoke and gave the law, what did they see? They saw lightning. They saw fire. What did it symbolize? It symbolized the presence of God. But at that point in our history, you could not approach the presence of God. Those that even touched the mountain were killed. They died instantly. It was to indicate the power, the magnitude of the presence of God. In the Old Testament, unapproachable. You couldn't get there because it it would burn you literally alive. And what was it that led the children of Israel through the wilderness, those 40 years that they grew accustomed to in the evening, in the night times? What do you need to see when you're, (laughs) you're walking in the dark? You need to see fire. And it was the presence of God that communicated to the children of Israel, I haven't lost you I haven't lost you, I know where you are. And I'll show you I know where you are, and I'll show you I know where you are with my presence. And it comes in the form of a pillar, a pillar of fire. So these tongues of fire tell us that it's a new day, you see, it's a a new time, it's a new day. The old has gone, the new has come. Because now the fire is doing something different than the fire had done before. It's on you. Fire no longer will be something that represents God's presence as an outward manifestation. The bush, the pillar, the law. But that God's presence will reside in each and every individual who calls on the name of Jesus. That's the fire. It's on you. He's brought it to you. How does he do that? It says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what happens here. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. That, 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 that's what's taking place. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, says. And so it makes sense when Jesus was talking to his disciples, remember? He said, you know, it's good for you. He said this. Imagine this. He said, it's good for you that I go. And if I'm one of the disciples, I'm thinking, no, it's not. I need you here. I need you to be with me. No, it's good that I go because if I don't go, you won't have the fire. You won't get the fire. I'm going to go so the fire can rest on you. What was and what used to be exclusive and remote and only dealt with in the holy of holies is the only place you saw it. The fire is now on individuals. Do you know that's a prophetic word? Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27. I love this. In 28, my dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God. They will be my people. And then the nations all the nations will know that I'm the Lord make Israel I'm the Lord that makes Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever where is the sanctuary 1 Corinthians chapter 3 don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you Jesus in you is the hope of glory see what used to be something you could never get close to is now in you It's the power of God's Spirit in you. I love this because fire is also a symbol of purification, isn't it? And Make no doubt about it that this is a time of purification. This is a time where fire is purifying. The purifying agent of God now lives in you. Where you once could not really live out your life uh, except according to the law. Now it's the fulfillment of the law. The Spirit of God lives in you. It's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that convicts you of your sin. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts you of unrighteousness. It's the Holy Spirit that not only convicts you of all this, but what does He do? He makes you righteous. You can't come to Jesus without the Holy Spirit. You can't live the life of a Jesus follower without the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one that's bringing the purifying work. Before, the only thing that you could look to for purification was the law. But the law didn't have the power to make you clean. The law could only show you where you were dirty. That's the only thing the law could do. And now, Jesus fills you with His purifying Holy Spirit now. Romans chapter 8, verse 10. Three says, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Yep. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be sin, a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh. But we live according to the spirit of God. Why? Because we have the Spirit that lives within us. His presence dwells in you. He purifies you. He makes you holy before your Father in heaven. That is a complete work. That's a complete work of purification in our life. Now, we see the day of Pentecost. We see the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. What we see here is we're, we're witnessing three supernatural ways. If we hear the Holy Spirit. It's the sound of a rushing, mighty wind. The disciples saw the Holy Spirit represented in the tongues of fire. Now, the third thing that happens here is the disciples spoke something. They heard something, they saw something, and now they speak something. (laughs) See, God is graduating this whole thing to them. It's going to them. It says, all of them filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. That's in verse 4. This is so cool to me. I want you to hear this. This is so cool to me in how the Holy Spirit used languages understood by different people groups. Don't, don't, don't miss this one. Uh, because sometimes we can convolute this, and I'll talk about this a little later. We can kind of convolute this with the gift of tongues. And, and these are two different things. Both have their purposes. But this is something that's very independent of even the gift of tongues here. Uh, It's something that he's doing in this upper room, and it's something that's happening to these people that is incredibly, incredibly powerful. What's happening here is the Holy Spirit is using language. And, and, And everyone that was gathered around from the world, from all parts of the world, are hearing something in their native tongue. What are they hearing? It says here they're hearing the praises of God. They're hearing God glorified, in their native tongue. Wow. All of this was masterminded and orchestrated by the Holy Spirit as the Spirit enabled them. (laughs) These so-called low-class Galileans, because notice the phrase there. If you go back, it says, who are these guys? They're Galileans. That was not a positive term. That was derogatory. They're saying, you know what they're saying there? <laughs> they're saying, who are these low-class Galileans who are uneducated, uncouth, country bumpkins, that are speaking in a language so complicated, so intricate, and some of these languages, you, you couldn't in your lifetime, you couldn't learn them. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes on them, and they're speaking in a language that they've never spoken before, and there are visitors there from all over the world that are hearing <laughs> the praises of God. If the rocks don't cry out, or if we don't cry out, the rocks will. Wow. Not only other languages, but they are speaking in direct dialects of people who have come to the Feast of Pentecost. Jewish people who are from all over the known world. Now, you need to know what's happening here in Acts chapter 2 again. uh, In the use of tongues has a different purpose than the gift of tongues that we'll look at later in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. So I want you to just think about this moment here. Here's the Holy Spirit is using languages that people understand. To do what? To declare the wonders of God. To glorify and praise God. The Holy Spirit is using different languages to bring people together. Because what got their attention? (laughs) They started hearing their language. Can you imagine? You're kind of walking on the streets of Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, you hear people praising God in your dialect, in your language. You bet I'm going to run to that place. And all these people gather together. God's using it. He's setting you up. He's setting these people up. He's bringing them together because there's a guy that's going to step up in just a little bit, and he's going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God wants everyone to be present to hear his good news. He's doing the same today. I think there are two primary reasons. I want to tell you what the primary reasons here, what's going on here, why God's doing this. One reason, the Holy Spirit is communicating that in Christ Jesus, listen, in Christ Jesus there is no longer Jew or Greek, male or female. What is he saying? He's saying there's no more bond or free in the Spirit we all come in the same way. In the spirit, we're all on equal ground. In the spirit, there isn't the race, the ethnicity that stands in the way that keeps us separate, that keeps us parted from one another. Do you see what he's doing here? He's breaking all this down. And he's saying in the past, the Jews hung out with the Jews, the Gentiles hung out with the Gentiles, the Parthians hung out with the Parthians, the Galileans even hung out and had their own subgroup over here. He's saying, all of that is gone, because in Christ Jesus, we're all whole. In Christ Jesus, we are one. Now, why is that so important? Why is it so important that this happens, that we're all gathered together, uh, that, that we used to be separate, but here we're no longer separate in Christ Jesus? Do you remember the Tower of Babel? If you go to the Tower of Babel and you look at Genesis chapter 11, here's the, here's the restorative aspect of this happening here. In the Tower of Babel, at the Tower of Babel, what was language used to do? Separate, disperse, send away. Why was God wanting to disperse them? Because they were glorifying themselves. They were not glorifying God, they were glorifying themselves. And God said, I don't like that. I don't like that. And they speak one language and they're coming together around one language. And, and, and I don't, I don't like that. I'm going to disperse them. I'm going to let them babble. They're, they're going to talk different languages and they're going to, they're going to separate. That is what needs to be restored. And so what does God do in the spirit? He uses language, not to separate people like the tower of Babel, but he's restoring that, breaking the walls of separation and bringing them together. He's unifying people through language. Wow. He's brought them together. In Acts chapter 2, again, he's reversing the curse. And he's using language to bring people together and to restore them, to bring them to wholeness. I said there were two reasons. One, we've just heard the second reason is to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. I can't stress this enough. It's to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, after they are together... And after they're listening to God being praised in their own language, God uses Peter to preach the gospel just like him. God is so tenacious. He's coming after you every chance he gets. He's coming after you. He is so tenacious to get to the nations, to get to the people, to get to your neighbors, to get to your friends, to get to your family. He is using language to do that, and he's using it (laughs) to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ bringing them together what did Jesus tell his disciples you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to do what to be my witnesses to be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and to the ends of the earth you know what's so amazing about this (laughs) Jesus is serving these guys up I mean you can't have it served any better than this I mean he's taking that first step and he's saying listen I'm gonna tell you what I'm I'm gonna give you a break here I'm going to bring all the nations to you so you don't have to go to them first. I'll bring them to you. I want you not to miss this. I want to make this easy for you. I know you're beginners. You're just starting this thing out, you know, this whole church thing out. So guess what? I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring all the nations to you, and there you can share the gospel of Jesus Christ filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. But after that, you got to go to them. you got to get to them. But Jesus <laughs> brings the nations to them to be witness of what's going on. Jesus serves them up. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or if you thought about your own journey. But did you know the Holy Spirit knows how to speak your language? And, you well, Ron, you know, you know, you speak English, I speak English. that's No, I'm not talking about that language. The Holy Spirit knows how to speak the language of your heart. He knows exactly what gets your attention. And, and I'll tell you what, he's tenacious at using it. You know what my language has been? Pain. You know, hey, Ron, I need your attention. Okay, we'll talk to you later. No, I need you to know. Okay, pain. Oh, yeah, you got my attention. That's a language. Do you know that there are a lot of languages? There are a lot of dialects that the Holy Spirit uses to get your attention. If you've ever been in a recovery rooms or the recovery meetings, there's a language there. There's a code. There's a language. Uh, I'm on the fire department. I'm, I work for the fire department. And so when I go into those, the first three meetings I had, I asked them to give me a list of the coded acronyms because I had no clue what they were saying. They had their own language. The RRF this and the FY this and this and that. They man, I'm lost. Now I speak their language. The Holy Spirit knows the language of your heart. He knows the language of your children's heart. And he will use that language to get them. To bring them to a place where they hear the gospel. He knows the language of your heart. He knows how to use that language to get to you. And he will always do that. That's why we pray for our children. That's why we pray for our families. That's why we pray for community. I don't know their language sometimes. But the Holy Spirit knows their language. The Holy Spirit knows the dialect of our teenagers. He knows it. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to, oh my gosh, I wonder if they really are getting it. He knows their language. And today we're going to come to the Lord's table and this is what we're going to ask for. Lord, bring a new birth in my heart. Birth newness in me. The old is gone, the new has come. Lord, would you empower me with your Holy Spirit as I come in faith and I take the elements that represent your body and blood. Would you stand with me? And and Annette, come on up here and we're going to do this together. We're going to lead you in, in communion. But before we do that, I want to do this and what we've done before is just pray for our families. I'm going to pray that the language of God's Holy Spirit pierce the hearts of you and your loved ones. You love them. Jesus loves them more. He knows their dialect. When you think they're lost and they're not listening, someone's there to speak that language. And that's his Holy Spirit. He'll speak that language. And if you're with someone, if you want to join hands, you feel free to do that. If not, that's fine, but we're going to do this. Father, right now we pray for every loved one that is being thought of right now in this room. And we pray for them in the power of Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you would go to these that we love and that you would speak their language and that you would communicate to them the good news of Jesus Christ, that they don't have to wander anymore, that they don't have to live in brokenness anymore, that they don't have to live a self-centered life, that they don't have to live a life that is totally dependent on, on their own strength, their own power. But, Father, they can be filled with the power of your spirit and know the life-giving power of your presence. Work in them. Lord Jesus, work in them. And so, Lord, we share these elements today that represent your body and your blood. And we are asking that you do a new work in our heart. We're asking that you do a new work in those that we love. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Uh, this morning as we take communion um, the sacrament of, sacrament of bread is what I'm going to just share with you right now when Jesus walked on this earth uh, he was vibrant he was healthy he was there was life in him he never experienced sickness or anything broken in his body when he was walking on the earth but when he went to the cross his body was broken and he experienced pain physical pain mm-hmm. it says in Isaiah 53, that the Lord laid on him the guilt and sin of us all. So he experienced that as well. As, as much as he experienced, experienced that physical pain, he also experienced all the guilt and shame and sin that was laid on him for us. Mm-hmm. The cross, he took our sickness, and he took our disease, and he took them on his original healthy perfect body Mm -hmm. so when we participate because we are participating it's not a ritual it's not a tradition that we just do but we're going to participate this morning knowing that this bread represents healing emotionally mentally physically spiritually, whatever you need when we take this bread we are participating in the healing mm-hmm. that Jesus has for us.
1: Amen. And then after we take the bread, you're going to have the cup. And the cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ. And it was at that place where his blood was spilled, was consummating a new covenant. It was saying the old is gone now, the new has come that each one of you can experience forgiveness when you ask God to forgive you, that each one of you can give forgiveness when asked to do so. Why? Because the moment he was pierced, that blood spilt, and that blood sealed the deal of the new covenant. Paul said, do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread in remembrance of me. Take the cup in remembrance of me. And do this until I come back, because I am coming back. I'm coming back, and one of the first things I'm going to do when I come back (laughs) is I'm going to gather you all around the table. I'm going to put you all together, and we're going to have a festival, a feast, a celebration called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. You're part of that. You're part of that. So when you take the cup, remember your sins are forgiven. Father, we thank you today for your body and for your blood. We ask that you would do this work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue to worship. We're going to invite you forward to these two tables in the back. There are uh, two tables as well. Take those elements. You can take them back to your seat. You can take them here. You can take them together. You can take them individually. But do this in remembrance of Jesus Christ. Do this together in Jesus' name as we continue to worship him together. Let's do that.
0: Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canby4square.com.